0: Equipping the saints with sound biblical instruction. This is K-Wave 107.9.
1: Hello and welcome to Pastor's Perspective, sponsored by Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. My name is Brian Perez, and here we are, a brand new month of programs for you. We would love to chat with you today till 4 p.m. Pacific time at 888-564-6173, 888-564-6173. That's the number to call. It's the same number you see on the bottom of your screen if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube today. Give us a call from now till 4 p.m. And answering your questions today are Brian and Cheryl Broderson from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. By the way, neither Brian nor Cheryl will be here next week. So if you have a question for them, you'd better call today at 888-564-6173. What's happening, folks? It's been a while
0: since we have been
1: here together. Haven't seen you guys together since last month.
2: We haven't actually seen each other. For a long time,
1: you guys never see each other. Well, you guys are like he was two gone. Ships he was
2: night. gone in Austria. Then he got back, and he was really, really sick. So uh, I isolated him, and then I <laughs> left for England, and yep. I just got back on Monday.
0: So here we are. Here
2: we are. We it's are to be together again. Seeing each other. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And Sunday we are going together
2: to Peru
0: to Lima, Peru. Mm-hmm. And this will be Cheryl's first time in Lima so I'm excited really? to take her to my favorite restaurants where they serve fantastic potatoes because they have 3000 options for potatoes so
2: and I only um, need 1000 options and I'm really <laughs> going to say it's like man
0: <laughs> most people don't know that Peru is the home of 3000 different types of potatoes
2: that's do they use idaho i want to know do no, they no. use idaho, There's no, idaho. There's, no? No,
0: no no we're talking these are these are exotic potatoes. These exotic,
2: are, meaning from Peru.
0: Meaning from, yeah, the Amazon and places like that. You know, they look like they're from the Amazon. least,
2: really? So they're mal-shaped or different shaped than no, what yeah, we're colors. used
0: No, oh, colors. Oh, colors. Oh. Like stripes. Oh, okay. Just fascinating.
2: You know, when our oldest- Striped potatoes. When our oldest <laughs> son um, was about two, he looked at Brian and looked at a potato that had not been cooked yet and said, Dad- very seriously, do maybe three, Dad. Do potatoes bite? <laughs> uh,
0: he was a kid. Yeah,
2: yeah, he was definitely like three,
1: <laughs> maybe two or three. Uh, so I just Phil Metzger back. has a dog named Potato. I don't oh, think yeah. he bites. I know
2: he won the um contest.
1: Yeah, that's because uh,
2: there were not enough pictures of Barnabas. At. Yes. If you out there listening have ever had ever met Barnabas or known Barnabas, he would have won. Mm-hmm. Hands down.
0: And
1: that's all there is to it. No
0: question about it.
2: Yeah. But what I was going to say is, I was in England and I had the privilege of doing a retreat there. And um, it was on um, indebted to love, just talking about the debt of love we owe to God from First John chapter 4, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he first mm-hmm. loved us and gave himself as a propitiation for us. Mm-hmm. So we just talked about the love of God. It was fantastic.
1: All right, 888-564-6173 is the number to call us today. You can also send us your questions on Facebook Messenger or by filling out the form on the Pastor's Perspective page of our flagship radio station's website, kwave.com. But the best way to get an answer is to call us when we're here, like today, till 4 p.m. at 888-564-6173. Now, before you guys go to Peru, maybe you can answer Christine's question. Do you guys have advice or resources for conquering a phobia of flying? I know God does not want us to be afraid, but no matter how much I pray, I'm still terrified of planes. It will sometimes affect my life negatively for weeks in advance of a flight. I feel guilty that I can't seem to trust God in this area. Thank you for any input.
2: You know, I think that um, I wrote a book called When a Woman Lets Go of Her Fears, But in it, I talked about how some fears are just with us. And David said, when I am afraid, which meant that David got afraid at times. But he said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. So I think that you can use fear as a catalyst to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And when it's a fear like that, that's just so gripping, I think the best thing is just to say, Lord, because I love you, I'm going to give you this fear, and I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I remember uh, two stories. One is I was flying as a little girl. I think we were going to Israel, and I said to my mom, I'm kind of I'm kind of scared. And she said that she was uh, afraid, too, when she first started flying. But the Lord gave her the scripture, I think it's from Deuteronomy chapter 33, that underneath are the everlasting arms. And she said that she just started visualizing God's um, hands holding up the plane um, every time she flew, and that really helped her. And then um, on another occasion, I was flying with uh, my son, and uh, as we were flying, um, he came to me and he goes, Mom, I I think it's going to crash. I I think the plane's going to crash. In fact, one time we were flying, and I overheard him. He thought we were asleep, and he's going, Yep, I knew it. We're going down planes about to crash. Yep. Nobody to tell, but yep, here it comes. Just get ready for it. It's going to crash. So I elbowed Brian and so he was listening to this dialogue with himself that he kept going about how we were going to crash. But he we, was We
0: were actually landing. Yes, but we were doing. Oh, is yes. okay. So yes. he felt yeah. He was looking out the window at yes. the, <laughs> the earth getting closer and closer.
2: But he was he was almost always afraid to fly. And this one time, I said I use the story of Corey Tinboom where she said, "You know, Dad, I don't have the grace to die." And he said, "Corey, when do I give you a ticket to get on the plane? Do I give it to you, you know, a week before, three weeks before? Do I give it to you um, an hour before?" And she said, "No, you hand it to me right before we got on the train." He said, "In the same way, the grace that you need is given to you in that moment that that you need." And so. I told that story to my son, and I said, you know, the reason that you're afraid is because you don't have the grace, because if you had the grace, you wouldn't be afraid. And so he's like, oh. So then he comes right back to me. He says, Mom, I'm really scared because I'm not afraid. (laughs) Like, what is going on here? But I think, you know, you're just going to have to use this as um, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Say, Lord, you know the cost to me. That it's, you know, other people don't know the cost that it is to do this, mm-hmm. but you do. And just pray.
0: <clears throat> you know, we, we have a good friend who um, <clears throat> who spent, you know, literally decades traveling all around the world. And just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this fear of flying hit him. Really, And he just, you know, in his mind, he had just reasoned like God, if God would have intended us to fly, he would have given us. Wings? The ability to do it. Oh. He would have given us wings. So, we, you know, we've we've invented these airplanes and stuff. This isn't, you know, we shouldn't have done this. Yeah. So, so he talked himself into this. Wow. Like, and, it, I mean, it was a while. You know who that
2: was? It
0: was Wayne. Yeah.
2: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, i hope he, no one reads lips who's
0: watching you know for, so for a while he just struggled he couldn't he couldn't get on a flight wow and then finally i think what happened is he just realized like god was calling him to go places that he couldn't take a ship it would take too long to get there you know he, he was god was calling him to do things that he needed to fly so he had to just Trust sort of Lord. bite the bullet and get back on a flight mm-hmm. so so i would say to our Friend who wrote in, um, just you know, ask yourself this question: um, Is the Lord with me? And He is with you, and then you just have to entrust um, that to Him. And and I, I get it. You know, there are fears and phobias that we have that at times there a phobia is an irrational fear. That that's the definition of a phobia. <laughs> So trying to talk yourself out of it, it doesn't work that well (laughs) because it's irrational. So in some cases, you just have to press through it. You just have to just do it. And I think in this case, that would be my advice.
1: Now, would everything you guys just said apply to all phobias, you think?
2: Well, in my book, um, When a Woman Let's Go her Fears, I listed, I think it was, I only listed 20 or 25 different phobias. But I think the same lesson of trusting the Lord is the answer for every fear. Yeah. It's to trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a fear that, you know, not trusting the Lord would work.
0: <laughs> yeah. Know. Oh, you're afraid of that? Yeah. Don't trust don't the Don't trust Lord. God. Yeah. <laughs> don't trust the Lord on that. But I
2: really think, you know, as David said, what time I'm afraid. And he didn't say, I mean, obviously David wasn't flying uh, because airplanes were not yet um, invented. No, he was in a
0: bit of a more precarious situation he was on a battlefield
2: or it could have been just being hunted down um, by Saul I mean there were so many uh, different situations but yeah, I think that fear is actually an opportunity to trust the Lord we can see it that way an opportunity Mm -hmm. to say Lord I can't trust my feelings I can't uh, I can only trust you Mm -hmm. and I think of so many people who um, there was uh, the book uh, by Heather Mercer what was it called
0: uh her story. The her one story, about, yeah, um, where
2: she was kidnapped by the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Prisoners of hope, I think it is called. Mm-hmm. But um she was afraid and she talked about being terrified and you know, really breaking down at one point and learning to just have to uh whether you're afraid or not, just relying on the Lord. What else are you gonna do? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think in so many things, um the fear, again, there's... there's. It's amoral. There's fear that's... Crippling. Legitimate and understandable. And of course, you're afraid of that. Everybody's afraid of that if they're honest. But then there are those fears that are unfounded. And I think the fear of flying is, is one of those that, um, you know, I mean, yes. I have a friend
2: that is a pilot and she said, um, that fatalities in aircraft are so rare. Yeah. Um, I mean in comparison more, to cars. Exactly. Right. That's what she said you're yeah. more likely to die And Now now we now our poor little listener is like <laughs> fully afraid, afraid to, to drive, you know. So maybe we ought to <laughs> we just better just stop, stop this. On, yes. Yeah. Okay. Just trust the Lord. Just use it as an opportunity to trust. But what's a, what's the great
0: Isaiah Isaiah 41:10 passage that you've known since you were a
2: Actually Small. mine is Isaiah 41:13 and you always say 10 because they're an awful lot alike but it okay. says "For I the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand right. saying unto thee Fear not I will help you."
1: Yes. That's a great one.
2: And that's 13. 10 is almost the same but just a little different. Okay. But yes.
1: Christine, thank you for sending in your question on Facebook Messenger. And uh, the book that Cheryl mentioned, by the way, uh, Prisoners of Hope by Heather Mercer and Dana Curry. And the other book Cheryl mentioned was her book, When a Woman Lets Go of Her Fears.
0: And I can't believe you remembered the name of Heather's book. That was really good recall.
2: Thank you. It's such a great book. Yeah. It really is.
1: is our number. And now we're going to go to Sherry listening, or I should say watching, in Phoenix, Arizona on YouTube. Let's wave to Sherry. Thank you for watching and thanks for calling in today. How can we help you?
3: Hi, Brian, Brian and Cheryl. Thank you so much for taking my call.
1: You're welcome.
3: I actually went to CCBC Marietta years ago and I sat in classes with Brian and Cheryl <laughs> years and years ago. So I'm so excited. I caught the two of you.
0: <laughs> Great.
3: Um, my husband's a Brit, so I also love England and we'll visit in a month. So I'm excited. And I'll check out York, uh, a Calvary Chapel, if I can find it.
0: Oh, so good. You're going to go to York. That's fantastic. I was
3: yes, born in York, actually. Oh my we'll go.
0: goodness. Well,
3: David, yes. Nancy, go Sylvester. To the, go
0: to the Walmgate Bar and the church is just Walmgate. literally yeah. across the street from
2: it. So the Walmgate.
3: Oh, so helpful.
2: Yeah, you just go upstairs. It's actually kind of a tourist attraction, and it's two floors. And the first floor that you'll walk in on is a coffee bar, and then you can go to the second floor and actually have your coffee in a library.
0: Yeah, it's called Castlegate okay. Coffee.
2: Castlegate coffee. It's it's yeah. wonderful. Everyone's a believer who's working the um coffee bar. Yeah. It's just awesome. Consider it done. I will be there. Yes. And your husband's yeah. probably gonna take you to the shambles, which is the street I there before you
3: have been there. So pretty. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We went to the York Minster and heard and watched them all rehearse and, and just speak with and sing with the organs. It was amazing. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah so, the
0: York Minster's it's great.
3: Gorgeous. It's gorgeous, but thank you so much. Um, so uh, just a little plug real quick for your show. I have been so, so blessed by this show. God has literally spoken to me every episode that I listen to. Any internal dialogue or narrative or question I have, without fail, someone will call and ask basically verbatim, and I'll be at my desk working, nearly crying. So thank you so, so much for the work that you guys do and this show. Uh,
4: that's made encouraging. It a
3: difference in my life. Thanks, um, but my question is around the topic of guilt. So I personally uh, just feel like I, I just found the verse last night. Um, it's First John three twenty through 21, and it's talking about how guilt is a feeling. And then I also want to reference Psalm 51, where David tells God that against you and you alone have I sinned, and also my sins always before me. So basically, I kind of feel like David consistently, and it's probably just a stronghold, but I just feel like my sin is always before me. And so I found this verse that said, does guilt a feeling. So I was just looking to see, do you guys have any like book recommendations or an encouragement to help get me over the stronghold of the oppressive feelings that are holding me back? I think that are really entering, that are hold, holding me back from entering into probably verse 321, which just follows. Yeah. Um,
1: Sherry. As you can see on YouTube, Sherry, Sherry, Cheryl is just dying to jump in here and I give you the answer. I actually
2: wrote a book on this very subject, and it's called A Woman's mm-hmm. Battle for Grace. Okay. And it's exactly this, because um, I, ha- I, I remember talking with one girl who I uh, met with regularly because she could not stop apologizing. It was, sorry, 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 sorry. And it wasn't the English, sorry, sorry. It was just... <laughs> She felt guilt over everything and was sure that there were things in her heart and she didn't know how to, um, you know, uh, confess. So she just confessed everything. And it had become like um, almost a, a psychological issue. And we met every week for I think it was a year until the Lord really, really set her free. Of just realizing who she was in christ and you know the blood of jesus christ is so strong so powerful that it's able to cleanse a man from every sin sherry you of course no matter what you've done do not have a sin that is powerful enough to be uh to um resist the blood of jesus christ there is no sin Except for refusing the forgiveness of the Lord, saying, I don't need Jesus Christ. That's the unpardonable sin, saying, I don't need Jesus, I don't need Jesus, I don't need Jesus, which is the resistance of the Holy Spirit all the way to death. You haven't done that. You're not doing that. Um, so what I in the book, I really talk about um, how too often we women live in the should and should nots. And what we do is we, you know, we read the Bible and we're like, okay, and we give it five steps. These are five steps to my obedience, instead of just letting the Spirit of the Lord work in us, because the Lord wants to work in us to willing to do of His own good pleasure. He wants it to be by His Spirit, not by my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And you'll find that scripture in Zechariah. But so, I went on this um, grace. uh, study you know and just studying and going um just over my head and grace and just studying what grace is and how powerful <laughs> it is and then i um wrote this book on it um so i i think that will um i think the book would really really help you but i i want to tell you one quick story i had this friend of mine who couldn't get over and uh, let me tell you This friend had, before she was a Christian, she had had nine abortions, nine, not ten, nine abortions. And she had had an affair with her best friend's husband and, of course, lost the friendship and everything. And then she came to Christ. And she was a churchgoer before that. So then she struggled. Oh, my goodness, did I do this knowing Christ, all this stuff? And she was reading in Malachi where God says, as far as Um, The east is from the west. So far have I removed your sins from you and thrown them into the deep sea. And she said, Lord, you said you don't remember my sin. Why am I remembering my sin? And she said the Lord spoke to her and said, I allow you to remember your sins so you never go back. But your slate is clean with me. Mm. So sometimes a consciousness of, of sin or like our past, it, it makes us grateful to God. And it keeps us because we don't want to do that again. We don't want to go back to that estrangement or that pain. And we just see it and go, oh, how could I ever have done this? But as far as God's concerned, your slate is totally clean You know, he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him. And, you know, if we confess our sins, um, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the word confess just simply means to agree with God. Now, this is where I differ from a lot of people. I don't think that um, we need to just sit there and try to think of did I sin today? Did I sin yesterday? Some people like that practice. I don't agree with it. I think sometimes when you're contemplating too much, where have I sinned, where have I messed up, that we start putting restrictions on ourselves or seeing things as sin that God doesn't see. Ascent, like, oh, I shouldn't have watched, you know, uh Sound of Music last night. I was wasting my time. You know, I I could have been more productive. I could have been reading my Bible or I could have been witnessing. And the Lord's like, um, I really enjoyed Sound of Music when I was watching it with you. You know, what what's your problem here? And I think that we can put these strident measures on ourselves that God isn't God allows time for rest. the Sabbath was a time of rest and restoration and so I think that sometimes um, if we're I think we can be too introspective and uh, and you know there there are some spiritual practices which are good but you they can also turn you very inward and you can start thinking about yourself too much. And uh, Tim Keller wrote a great book uh, called Self-Forgetfulness. It's one of the best books I've ever read. But it's just about um, not giving your feelings too little credibility or too much credibility, but just to um, just forget about yourself. We used to sing a song at Calvary. Let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship him. There's a time just to like, okay, my eyes are too on me. Let's just get them on the blood of Jesus Christ that that forgives a man from every sin.
1: What do
3: you think? Spectacular. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You said all the right things, and it's so helpful. Mm-hmm. And I will look into each of those books and safe travels to Peru and okay. eating your potatoes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 3,000 different types. I'm, I'm going
0: to say I'm to say two things. And um, Number one, the passage that you're referring to in the Psalms, remember the context of that because yeah. David this is David is describing before he confessed his sin. so my sin is ever before me because he's not he's not confessed it he's he's trying to hold it in and then there there comes that moment you know where he does confess and he goes on to acknowledge how when he does confess um you know Freedom. God has has uh, forgiven him and cleansed him. So that's number one. secondly, um, you know, this is classic condemnation that you're experiencing, and condemnation is the devil's work, and it's to condemn you, to get you to feel that you have offended God in some way, shape, or form, and therefore you're just always on the outs with God to some degree or another, and you just have to take to heart Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when, you, when these feelings come upon you, you have to recognize that this isn't the Lord. God's not condemning me. Uh, Paul goes on just, I mean, you know, meditate on Romans 8 for a bit. That'll, I think, greatly encourage you. But, you know, Paul asks these rhetorical questions. Who is the one who condemns? It's not Christ. Christ died for you. Rather, he's risen from the dead. He's at the right hand of God making intercession for you. So it's the enemy who is condemning, and we have to learn that this is what he does. This is one of his tactics against us. And then we just have to resist it by standing on that truth that there is no condemnation for those in Christ.
1: Sherry, thank you for calling us today on Pastor's Perspective at eight 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 five six four six one seven three. Ron hung up. Okay, so let's go to Karen in Lynchburg, Virginia, listening on Equip FM. Thank you so much, Karen. How can we help you?
5: Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, it's interesting the title of your radio show, Pastor's Perspectives. I seem to have different perspectives than my husband on some things, and just was wondering if you could give some advice. For example, he made a vow before we got married about— Um, Not drinking, and then he made it because his friend's father was an alcoholic, and he said he wouldn't drink at all. And so I came from a home where my dad was an alcoholic, and so when I got saved, I didn't drink anymore. Anyway, my question is, he um, feels like he's released from the vow after the friend's father died, and so occasionally he'll have alcohol. And I always have. I feel it's so offensive to me. (laughs) I feel like. You know, because occasionally it'll be in our home, and I can't stand it. <laughs> it and yet, I know I'm just supposed to still lovingly accept that and his perspective. But any advice on that?
0: Is he, is he getting drunk?
2: No, he does have occasional drinks, but no, he doesn't get drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a church that you go to, Karen? Uh huh. I I think you need some counseling. Because I think um, I think that it would be good to go into marriage counseling. Even healthy marriages need uh, counseling. I was talking to a friend of mine who she and her husband just recently, they've been married for over 20 years, and she said the counseling has just made the, the biggest difference because they realized they weren't really hearing each other. And I think your husband is thinking, you know, this is a liberty. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't get drunk. And he's not seeing the torment that it brings you. And I... I don't think he quite understands that, and that's what a counselor might help him to see. That this is not really about liberties; it's about um, it's about childhood trauma, and it's not something you can just. If someone says, "Oh, just get over it," it's not like that. It's not like, "Oh yeah, fine, I'm great now because you told me to get over it. I'm over it." There's some there's some triggers there. And I think that that would be really great to get some marriage counseling. I know that um, there are some even some Christian marriage counselors that you can even do it um, over Zoom um, in your own house. Uh, you and your husband could sit you know, in front of the screen and talk to somebody, a Christian um, marriage counselor. But I would really suggest that maybe your church can recommend somebody, because what you need is, um, you need tools, and you need the tool to be heard by your husband so that he understands. And you know, in First uh, Peter chapter 2, it said that the husbands are supposed to dwell with the wives according to understanding. And this isn't so much a moral issue as it's an understanding issue. And I think that that's where counseling would really, really um, come in because I think it would help you to understand him, where he's coming from, and it would help you. Um, I think it would just give you tools to strengthen your marriage.
0: So, Karen, I noticed here, too, there's more There's more to this than just the drinking issue. Um, the other issue of pornography Um and then the, it says this, and I'm reading off of our screen here. It says, he is not sorry, and I don't know how to address this and feel hurt by his actions. So is that is that what you said, he's not sorry about that?
5: Um, it's just that he didn't apologize. And then he also said, well, I've already spoken to you about it, but I don't ever recall him speaking to me about it.
0: About, the, so pornogra- about like- the pornography? Yeah. yeah.
5: I mean, he's mentioned other people do, but... I, yeah. And then he's saying, "Well, then, what do you want me to say?" And then I just get quiet in the sense that well, I think you know what to say. <laughs> yeah. So um, and then I said, I'm, So it's it's more like yes, we talked about it. He'll say I'm sorry, but it's not that. I don't know. I feel like there's more there, but I yeah. have to let go and accept it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think really, you know, just listening to what you're saying and what Charlotte said, I it sounds to me like. Um, your husband needs to have a bit of a heart check. Um, you know, I, it sounds like there's an insensitivity there. And, um, you know, having a drink is neither here nor there in one sense, but with it's sort of a cavalier attitude that, um, well, you know, I'm going to do this. I took this vow, but now. And not taking your feelings into consideration. And then when you put the pornography in, you know, pornography is a sin. So drinking isn't necessarily a sin, but pornography is a sin. And so I think there's an issue there in his own heart. And I think counseling, this would be a good, a good step if he would do that to get in and speak with a counselor. So that would, that's the way to device.
1: Karen, thank you for calling us today here on Pastor's Perspective. We're going to take our break and then we'll be back in a little bit with more of your phone calls. So call us at 888-564-6173 888-564-6173 we back on Pastor's Perspective. 888-564-6173 is the number to call from now till 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Grab an open line, 888-564-6173. Brian and Cheryl Broderson of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa are here to answer your questions. They would love to chat with you at 888-564-6173. Let's go to the phones right now. Here is Diana calling in from Rancho Palos Verdes. Welcome.
4: Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Hello. um, I enjoy your show very much. I learn a lot, and mostly I'm calling today because I trust the um, uh, perspectives that you guys give here. So my question is, um, if you pray for the salvation of a loved one or anyone, really, since it's God's desire that everyone be saved, is that a prayer that will always be answered in the affirmative?
1: (laughs) What do you think, Brian? Brian? Well, it is
0: it is God's desire that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that, but of course, it's it's not only God uh, who's involved in this situation. There's the human will as as well. And so, I mean, if you think uh, on the one hand God desires everyone to be saved, um, then why isn't everybody saved? Well, because people make choices, and God respects their choices. So, I would say I I can't I can't say that it's a 100% guarantee that if you pray for this unbelieving person they're going to be saved, but I think the the possibility is going to increase that they are if you pray for them, so I do think that praying for them is the wise thing to do.
2: You know, I was thinking about I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7 <clears throat> And it says that if you're married to an unbeliever and they're willing to stay, Mm -hmm. stay Mm -hmm. because the believer in the house sanctifies Mm -hmm. the unbeliever and the children. And this is what I think by that. uh, We think of sanctified as um, make holy, but it actually means set apart. And I believe what happens is as we pray that every, I want to say, heavenly tool is brought to bear for that person's salvation. Mm -hmm. That they— that God turns His attention to sending them every opportunity possible to be saved, uh, to create circumstances in their life for their salvation, and I, you know, they're set apart uh, to, um, yeah, they be,
0: become become an object mm-hmm. of of God's working, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a passage that speaks about the God of this age speaking about the devil who blinds the minds of those who do not believe. So as we're praying for people, we are helping to remove that blindness or, you know, we're helping whatever is going on in the spiritual realm to be broken up to bring people to a place where they can actually hear. Um, You know, for some people, they, they can't even hear the message. It doesn't resonate with them at all. And that's spiritual blindness. And so we can pray for God to to deal with that if it has to do with demonic forces. But it can also just simply be a hardness of heart. The heart is so hard that it's like the ground that Jesus talked about in the what, what's commonly called the parable of the sower, where the seed falls upon the uh, path that's hard and the the seed is not even able to penetrate. The path, the birds come and they, they gobble it up before it can ever take root. So we can pray that God will soften up uh, a person's heart, that the that the seed might fall on.
2: What's the story say. with George uh, Mueller? He uh, Mueller. <laughs> he had all those people on his prayer list that he prayed yeah. for every yeah. day. What? He
0: so George Mueller was a. Um, He was a philanthropist. He was uh, an evangelist. He was a pastor. He took care of uh, thousands and thousands of orphans in England back in the 1800s. And he was a man who was deeply committed to prayer. And he had five people on his prayer list that he prayed faithfully for daily.
2: For their salvation.
0: For their salvation. And um, over a course of 40 years. So... Over a course of 40 years, he prays three of them come to faith sometime during that 40-year period. George Mueller dies, and there are still two that haven't come to faith. Right at his death, one of them comes to faith, and then the final one comes to faith at his funeral.
2: George's funeral. And
0: so, it you know, all five came to the Lord, but it was over a very long period of time. I know people— that have been praying faithfully for people for decades. And those people are still hard hearted. They're still resistant. They're still not interested. But um, thankfully, the people just keep praying and we're giving God an opportunity to work. So.
1: What do you think, Diana?
4: Thank you so much. You no, know, that was wonderful to hear. Thank you for that. Yes, I appreciate that. Can I ask one thing real quickly? Yeah. I was just wondering if um, Brian and Cheryl were still uh, thinking of uh, that they were still going to take their uh, tour to Israel in September.
2: I'm thinking no. (laughs) Uh, uh, Definitely if there's still the war and the battles going on, absolutely not, because we don't want to endanger anybody's lives. And it's just not safe right now. Um, Should there be an incredible ceasefire where both sides agree, like, we're not going to hurt each other anymore, we're going to stop this, Um, then I would say, all right, so we're just kind of waiting. We're still scheduled
0: to go. Yes, we are. And Mm. our – our tour company won't... is confident that everything's going to be fine. I don't know that I share that confidence <laughs> with them, but um,
2: well, they won't give us any money back until um, uh, the plane. Yeah, is...
0: uh, the trip is in November, actually, not September. Mm. Um, so, as of this moment, we are still scheduled to go, but we're, we're we're just watching to see what happens.
1: Very good, Diana. Thanks for your phone call today on Pastor's perspective. And yeah, if we if you guys do decide to go on the tour, you'll let us know, and then everybody can sign up.
2: yes yes definitely yes talk about a fear of flying i have a i have a phobia about going to israel right now
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's not the flight
2: it's not the flight no it well that that you know i was in israel during the yom kippur war when i was 13 years old and Mm. we were the first aircraft to leave israel and they took us by bus and um everything was dark They didn't even have the lights on on the bus. And we had to have the um, blinds down on the bus. We get to the airport with flashlights. They're leading us into this huge, um, what do you want to call it, warehouse. And in the warehouse, we all go through security. Then they take us out by little flashlights. The plane's not lit. Everything's dark, dark, dark. And we get on this plane, and the shades are all down, and the lights are very dim on the plane. And all of a sudden, the engines fire up. And all the lights go on in the airport. We take off, and all the lights on the airport go off. And our plane had to fly without lights, and it flew us all the way to Italy. And we weren't scheduled to go to Italy. That was uh, that was a surprise. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it was because of the Yom Kippur War. And I just say that because um, they don't usually like a lot of tourism during um, wars. And so I'm not I'm not seeing that unless you know things really really calm down. 888-564-6173.
1: 888 Here's a question that was sent in online using the form on our flagship radio station's website, kwave.com. Gloria writes, Theologians like Spurgeon, Edwards, and others emphasize a supernatural experience to be truly saved, to be brought to the horrors of your sin and an opening of one's spiritual eyes to see the beauty of Christ as all-sufficient Savior. Can you be saved Without this experiential salvation. Yes. Yes. (laughs) On the count of three.
2: I have a friend. (laughs) Thankfully. And it was interesting because I said to her, when were you saved? And she said, I don't know. She said, but one moment, um, she said, I knew I wasn't saved, but I was going to Calvary. And she said, and then I knew I was. And You know, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis uh, said about uh, going to, was it the zoo? The zoo, yeah. He said on the way there, he knew he was not saved, but he had been contemplating you know, Jesus and and God and all of these things had just been churning with him. And he he knew he wasn't saved on the way to the zoo, and he knew he was saved when he left the zoo. Mm -hmm. But he didn't remember saying any particular prayer or doing anything. It was just this realization like, I believe in Jesus Christ. No, it was
0: on the ride to the zoo. Oh,
2: on the ride to the zoo that that happened. So once he got to the zoo, he was saved. He was
0: saved, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he didn't really know exactly what ha- what
2: happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you you think of um, somebody like Spurgeon, who did have, you know, quite a dramatic conversion. He's a young, he's young.
2: Like eight or 10?
0: No. Well, yeah. you know, he grew up in a Christian home. Okay. So he had all these influences. But then, you know, he was from a, a, a Calvinistic background, obviously, so he always felt very much condemnation and unworthiness, and um, focusing a lot on his own sinfulness, and therefore feeling condemned. And he went into a little Methodist chapel, and the preacher he tells the story the preacher couldn't really preach at all. And, you know, Spurgeon became known as the Prince of Preachers, So mm-hmm. he was an extraordinary preacher, but this guy uh, could barely put uh, two sentences together. But yet he, he just in earnest, he called out from the passage in Isaiah, look to me, all you ends of the earth and be saved. And he looked right at young Spurgeon when he said it. And that was the moment God, you know, pierced his heart and he, he, was saved at that mm. moment. Um, but, you know, like if you read Pilgrim's Progress, for example, you know, Pilgrim, I mean, he goes through this season of of utter condemnation. And a lot of this stuff, honestly, is is Calvinistic um, theology coming through that's heavy, you know, really, really heavy on, on human depravity and sinfulness, uh, which is all true, but it doesn't necessarily mean – that you are gonna have this extraordinary sense of the deep, 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 deep sense of your, the guilt of your sin, and then the um, you know ecstatic release from that the moment you come to faith. That does happen for some people. It doesn't happen for everyone.
1: Gloria, thank you for sending in your question online. And now let's go to the phones with Wendy in Vista, California. Welcome to Pastor's Perspective. Thank you for calling 888-564-6173.
2: Hello. Hi, Wendy. You know, we used to live in Vista.
4: I know, know, and I go go to Pastor Rob's church, which is your old—you guys set it up, right? (laughs) Yeah. In Vista?
2: Yeah. And I
5: was so
4: (laughs) bombed that I didn't go before, because— I used to go to a church in Pomerado, and now I found Calvary and Vista, and I, I love it.
2: Yay! Good. It's a great church. We Yay. have so many friends, and oh, we just—I think we love everyone in that church.
0: Oh, everyone that we still know. <laughs>
2: everyone that we still know. And we pretty much love people that we meet from there that we don't know. Just <laughs> Like a great Wendy. Place. Yeah, Like
4: Wendy, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's Awesome. Um, my question is, I have an uncle— and he was a Christian, and—well, he said he was a Christian. He had a son pass away, and when his son passed away, he started going to the Rock and at different churches. He was trying different churches, and now he's become Jehovah Witness. Oh, my. So my question is, if he was saved before and dies as a Jehovah Witness, what happens to him?
2: Um, Wendy, I want to ask a couple of questions first. Um How old is he? My uncle, I would say he's 62. Oh, he's young. Okay. Um, I was thinking maybe he was senile, and maybe that's why he's doing all this stuff, like he just wants friends. Um, I think what you need to do when you talk to your uncle is just to stress Mm -hmm. who is Jesus Christ and what are you doing about your sins if Jesus is not God's son. If he's not God, you know, uh, if he's not God incarnate and he's not the son of God, what are you doing about your sins? Where's the forgiveness? Um, Because what they believe about um, Jesus is where things get really, really crazy. And, you know, we have to believe in the propitiation of Jesus' blood for our sins as the covering. And they don't believe that they believe that you know it's by their works mm-hmm. and that jesus is just an emanation from god but not actually um uh, god incarnate brian what would you add to that you know but i think that's something that you could talk to him openly about you know this okay. is different because he might not know it's different because they'll use a lot of double talk so he might not know what he signed up for but then when that's going back to about this it,
4: he said they because because they don't believe in war
2: yeah, see, that's that's kind of like yeah. what I'm thinking. That he doesn't realize how how yeah. um, different. Well, yeah.
0: they don't believe in war, and they don't believe that Jesus. They don't believe in the Trinity. So you might tell them that too. Tell oh. them that they don't believe in the Trinity, and they don't believe that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. So they don't believe John chapter one verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They don't believe that the Word was God. So that's a serious right. theological error that um, if, he, if he were to embrace that, it doesn't sound like he even knows that at this point, but if he were to right. embrace that, that would be to reject Orthodox Christianity. So, you know, you might let him know that, okay, there's other people who don't believe in war that he could <laughs> go and, and, you know, kind of get um, the Friends Church, uh, the uh-huh. Quakers, they don't believe in war either. And they're Christian pacifists as well. So, yeah.
4: Oh, okay. And on your Sunday night services, do you guys broadcast them?
0: Uh, they're online. We broadcast them online, online. but not on the radio.
4: Okay.
1: <laughs> good to know. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Wendy, for reminding me. That, uh, is there a Sunday night service this weekend, there or is, are you guys going to be gone?
0: and I am going to be gone. And then? But my good friend Richard Semino is going to fill in. Nice. For the next two Sunday nights, yeah. So we finished Luke chapter 1. And two weeks it took us to get through. Now, Richard's going to go back and do a deep dive into a couple sections of Luke chapter one. Oh, which will okay, be fantastic. And then I'll come back, and we'll go into Luke chapter two.
1: Very nice, and that's Sunday nights at six o'clock at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Wendy, thank you for your phone call. Now let's talk to John in Orange County, California. Thanks for calling eight 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 five six four six one seven three, John
6: Hi there. Hi. Hi. I had a, a question I was thinking about as I was listening to the show, I was hoping to get some help with.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
6: So I, I used to be a full non-believer, and I'm, I'm starting to become more familiar with Christianity. But, but there's one thing I, I'm struggling with, and I hope you can give me some perspective.
0: Okay, we'd love to try.
6: Yes, so the, as I read more of the, the Bible and then different verses, um, one that really stuck with me is in uh, Exodus, Exodus 20, 21, talking about slavery. Um, when I read that, I struggle to find any moral ground for that to be acceptable. I'm wondering what your perspective is on that.
0: What, what does the verse specifically say?
6: Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's along the lines of, you may enslave... Uh, people and territory around you and there's rules for how you should treat your slaves.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know that slavery is universal was, um, you know, from as far back as history goes, slavery existed. So during the Old Testament period, God separates a people for himself, beginning with Abraham and then his, his descendants. And then we come to the Law of Moses and in the law of Moses, you have the legislation for the nation, and that's where you have instruction about slavery. If you look at the, um, you know, kind of the I don't, rules, I don't know if that's the right word, but if you if you look at the the culture surrounding Israel, all of them um, practice slavery, um, what God did in Israel is he um, humanized it. He took away many of the the, you know, really, really deplorable aspects of it, but he didn't root it out completely. Um, Slavery in biblical times, there were two things you couldn't,
4: there,
0: there was one thing that you couldn't do. You could not kidnap people and sell them. And so slaves in biblical times were basically the spoils of war or people were indentured slaves, meaning that they sold themselves into slavery because they had no way to pay their debts apart from that. So when you look at the situation in Israel, that is pretty much what you're talking about there. So, you know, people say, well, why didn't God just say there can be no slavery, um, you know, among you as a people? Well, again, the Old Testament is it's not a perfecting of things. It's it's modifying things. It's taking uh, the edge off of sin to some degree to wait for the ultimate deliverance that's going to come through Jesus the Messiah. So we come to the New Testament period, and we have um, – again, we have universal slavery. This is the context in which the New Testament was written. Some people say, well, why didn't the church – do away with slavery. Well, part of the problem was most of the church was made up of slaves, so they didn't really have too much of an ability to do anything about it. The church wasn't some massive institutional thing like we think of it today. This is just a, a very small group of people, a minority of people, so they had they had no power or clout uh, to be able mm-hmm. to in any way affect the, the social condition in regard to slavery at the time, but this is what they did— they undermined slavery. They set the, they set in motion the ultimate demise of slavery by undermining it by reminding slave owners that they also have a master in heaven and that they are to treat their slaves like their brothers and sisters. So this completely takes um, out of slavery uh, the the you know, the negative side of it that we would know in uh, what was experienced in the U.S. The U.S., uh, of course, our history as a country with slavery is one of the great blights on our history. Um, But that history uh, was—that history—that slavery was completely against the Scripture. It was uh, based on kidnapping, and it was race-based. Slavery in the the Scriptures was never race-based. It was always just, you know— People who, again, were spoils of war. People who were um, sold themselves uh, to pay their debts and, and so forth. But so.
2: also think about this: How yeah. many times in the law, in the book of Exodus, when God is giving the law, He said, "Remember, you were slaves yeah. in Egypt. Yeah, remember, you were slaves in Egypt." Yeah. So it goes back to what we call the golden rule: Do unto others as you would yeah. want them to mm-hmm. do. To. Yeah. You. Well,
0: there's a story in the New Testament about a man named um, Philemon, mm-hmm. and he has a slave named Onesimus, and Paul is a friend of Philemon, and he's also a friend of Onesimus. So, an Onesimus runs away, and he happens to run into Paul. Paul leads him to Jesus and says, "Okay, you need to go back to Philemon," but he writes Philemon a letter and says, "Okay, Onesimus is coming back to you. When he comes back to you." receive him no longer as a slave but as a brother and so that is the kind of the death knell so you know in again in american history when we have the um the end of slavery in the 1800s and we have the um the group of people what do they call the what are the emancipators yeah, but they're, what was the name? Abolitionists. Abolitionists, yeah, the abolitionists. They're all driven by their faith in God, their belief that all people are created equal, and they are opposing slavery on that basis. And so... Um, well,
2: even Harriet Tubman, who was a slave, she said, God don't want nobody owning nobody, <laughs> you know? yeah. which was so yeah. true, you now,
0: know? On my... Ba- on my Website back to basics um, You can go under the teaching tab there. And if you look under my series on um, Colossians, um, wh- listen and watch is where it is, Brian. Um, if you go there to Colossians, I did a message on uh, an in depth message, much more than we can,
1: <laughs> but it doesn't look like it's on there. It's here somewhere. Is Colossians on there? I don't see it. Anyway.
0: Um yes. I did I did a message from Colossians. Why isn't Colossians on this website? It should be here. I don't know.
1: But you might be able to find it on uh the back to Well, no, it says here that it's I don't know.
2: But you did do a message one time on it. I did. Yes. <laughs> oh, you know, maybe. there are other books An too that message. deal with um issues like this. And I'm thinking of Christopher Wright. Yep. Uh, Wright being W-R-I-G-H-T. Yes. And he wrote a book called The God I... I don't understand. I don't understand.
0: And there's also a great book by Paul Copan called Is God a Moral Monster? And uh, slavery is addressed in both of those books. Mm
6: -hmm.
2: And I think, again, like um, we were saying is um, we just had a great message by my son Char just a couple weeks ago, too, um, where he broached this subject too, mm-hmm. and talked about how it was the Bible that put prohibitions mm-hmm. the first time, prohibitions on how a master could treat a slave. Mm-hmm. And before that, there were no
1: prohibitions. Right. I did find the Colossians series. What you got to do, though, is uh, go to the search engine on com, the little magnifying glass thing, and type in Colossians, and then you'll see all the different messages there. Any particular one? that
0: uh, The Bible, Christianity,
1: and Slavery. There it is. There it is. All right. Check that out at backtobasicsradio.com. John, thanks for calling. Everyone else, sorry that we couldn't get to your call today. We will be back live on Monday. So have a great weekend. See you at church on Sunday. For Brian and Cheryl Broderson, I'm Brian Perez. And Pastor's Perspective was sponsored by Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.
0: Equipping the saints with sound biblical instruction. This is K-Wave 107.9.